0: Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm Emma Sandler, beauty and wellness editor at Glossy, and your host for today's episode. Today, I'm welcoming Brooke Harvey Taylor, founder and CEO of Pacifica Beauty, a 100% vegan and cruelty-free beauty brand that has been leading innovation in clean beauty for nearly 25 years. Brooke founded Pacifica with her husband, Billy Taylor, in Portland, Oregon, in 1996, Hero franchises include Glow Baby and Wake Up Beautiful, and products are available at Target, Whole Foods, and Ulta Beauty, among others. Brooke, thank you for joining us today. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me, Anna.
0: So something I was very intrigued to learn more about was the origin story of Pacifica, especially since it stretches back all the way to 1996. What is your background? What's the story there?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to know that I grew up on a little cattle ranch in Montana, which um, really cemented, oddly enough, cemented my core values around um, compassion and being cruelty free. And this really led to cementing Pacifica's core values. Um, my mom had an autoimmune disease and she believed in functional medicine. She and my so she had my sister and I go work at our natural food co-op to get discounts on groceries and supplements. And this was really my first exposure to natural beauty. I always chose to stock the HABA department, which is the health and beauty department, and As a kid, I was just really interested in how things smelled and how things felt and the texture of beauty. And it was when I read the book Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins when I was a teen that my obsession with scent really took meaning. And so when I was in college, I apprenticed as an, with an aromatherapist to learn more about how scent could help people. And most of the time I spent in the back room making my own perfumes that I would give to friends or sell at the local farmer's market and then even the Grateful Dead show. And really, those were the beginnings of Pacifica scents. And eventually, the woman I worked for gifted me the, her entire <laughs> scent library. And that's what I created our, our perfumes with. And I've always believed in aromatherapy and I've always secretly used, um, functional scents in almost every product that we make. And, um, you know, out of all this, my we, my husband, Billy, and I, um, then partner, now husband, were able to create Pacifica. And it, it's a beauty company based on the strong beliefs that animals and humans um, and the planet should be treated with compassion, that fearlessness is our greatest natural resource. And we really use this brand to make a difference in the world. And I believe we work tirely to do that. And I'm really proud that this has been my trajectory in the beauty industry and my contribution. Um, and I've always had a very clear position on accessibility, fairness, and justness. Justice. And I've always struggled with the idea that people who have more money have better access to healthier, healthier ingredients. And whether they're in beauty, organic food, healthcare, wellness, you name it, and money winds up being access. And back to being a kid and working for a discount so that my mom could afford her supplements, it's not an accident that we really focused in on creating the best performing products at the best prices using the best ingredients. Um, and that's, that's, that's our origin story.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I have to ask, though, are you a deadhead?
1: <laughs> I, I went to college in Eugene, Oregon. So I think by default, I was in 19, what, 1993, a deadhead. So, yeah,
0: I suppose that's like being <laughs> in Seattle. Like, you had to be part of, like, the emo rock scene.
1: Yeah, you had to love Nirvana. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, you had yeah. to be part of grunge. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: So when you launched the brand in 1996, the term clean did not exist yet. What was your response when the clean category really emerged around 2018 or so?
1: Yeah, so I think a little bit of history on clean might be helpful for us. It's Clean is a word that we always used, and we used it in the back room with our chemists as we were creating products, and clean was defined then as um ingredients that weren't considered natural. And we were all in a basically a contest of who could be the most natural. But of course, we had to use ingredients that weren't naturally considered naturally derived. And so we would call those ingredients clean. And when the clean when the word clean became consumer facing, it felt seamless to us to to fall into that to use that word because we were so used to using it already. And for me, it didn't feel like a new category as much as just a new way of defining what brands were trying to do and how they were how brands were trying to use ingredients that um, that they believed and or that retailers believed were better for humans or the planet. And so we didn't really just define ourselves as clean, but we have always defined ourselves as part of the clean movement and. Um, And it felt like, you know, something we adopted and fit into.
0: Where do you think the category goes next? It seems very much that it's table stakes. It's almost a basic requirement for any brand. And therefore, it's not quite the differentiator. It was when it first became that consumer-facing terminology.
1: Yeah, I love that question. I think it's going in a lot of directions. And one of the exciting things about this category is that retailers like Ulta with their Conscious Beauty movement, where I'm honored to sit on the advisory council, uh, is really taking a stand on issues like packaging and social engagement. So they're they're real, they're moving the category forward and not just talking about ingredients and i think that also that brands will really start to focus on other things besides ingredients as part of their positioning for us we've never just been about ingredients we've always seen ourselves as a as a protest to redefine not just beauty norms but how we do beauty how we live beauty how we ser- serve our consumer and you know when we started Pacific I I really believe we set out to change the fundamental way that we think about beauty And I believe that, you know, beauty shouldn't be defined by what white heteropatriarchal masculinity defines as beautiful. It should be defined by unstructured, you know, unstructured freedom, by joy and by celebration. And it should be transformative, but it should also serve the consumer. And this is a big point of difference for us and a lot of brands. It should serve the consumer with good quality ingredients And serve the planet and animals at the same time. So that's part of our compassion positioning as well.
0: You mentioned being part of Ulta Beauty's Conscious Beauty Advisory Council. When did you join and what does that work consist of for you?
1: I joined, I was asked to join when they um, first started Conscious Beauty. So I've been on the, the council for the last few years and the exciting thing about the council is that Ulta really listens to brands positioning and or I'm sorry, not brands positioning as much as brands thoughts around how we think about uh, conscious beauty, how we think about what's happening in the planet, and, and how we can advise Ulta around whether it is packaging, what we're up to with packaging, and be really transparent about how we all move the industry forward. I would call it you know, I really believe in radical collaboration. I think it's the only way that we're going to make significant changes as, as an industry. And I applaud Ulta for bringing us together as brands, as founders, to sit in a room and, and talk about these, these big issues. We just had a meeting um, recently, and it was really exciting. It was uh, a great place for us to share resources with another, one another and talk about the industry as, as a whole. And it Has been a a really amazing experience.
0: I love that phrase radical collaboration. I think it's very neatly fits into some of what Pacifica has done lately, including at least late last year, the Lola collaboration called It's a Wrap which I remember encouraged people to forego holiday wrapping paper and stick to the necessary wrapping in the form of condoms for holiday fun. I I thought it was such a cheeky campaign. I would love if you could talk to me a bit about how Pacifica and Lola came together and also why Pacifica felt it made sense to work on that type of collaboration.
1: Yeah, you know, I I can't take credit for the campaign. Every holiday for the last 10 years, we talk about how our packaging is so cute, it defies gift wrapping. And when we were talking to our brilliant PR firm about this, the idea of the campaign that focus on, an idea around a campaign that focuses on wrapping, How you some wrapping is good, some wrapping not so good, and um, some wrapping you need, and some wrapping you don't. And the idea of condoms came out and is as a necessary wrapping gift wrapping, not necessary. And so we actually share an investor with Lola, and we were really excited to. Call them up and ask them if they wanted to participate in the campaign, and so it was really an easy choice for us. And um, it was just really, it was a fun campaign. Our consumers got excited about it, and it was a, it was a great collaboration.
0: And I know it also makes sense because Pacifica's really focused more on sustainability in recent years. Tell me what the brand's approach has been. There's a couple different buckets. That have emerged with how brands want to be sustainable.
1: Yeah. No, it t- I, I love talking about this. I, for us, sustainability isn't about marketing. It's about making true measurable changes, benchmarking where we are today and making goals for the future. We use the word compassionism at, at Pacifica a lot because for us, it defines compassion and action. And as a, our core value is compassion for humans, animals, and the planet always has been, and we see everything we do through this lens. And the biggest issue we face right now as humans is climate change, and climate change affects women disproportionately to men. And I, I have some statistics, according to the UN, gender inequality coupled with the climate crisis is really, I think, one of the great challenges of our time. And I'm not alone, obviously, in that. It threatens the livelihoods, health, safety, and security for women around and girls around the world. Um, one statistic shows that domestic and sexual violence against women rose 60% in areas that experience extreme weather conditions, and that girls and women are 14 times more likely to be harmed during a climate disaster. And so as an industry whose largest consumer is women, I think it's this should always be top of mind for brands. Um, and when we i think we really need to reframe the conversation and talk about this in terms of accountability and as a brand you know being a brand isn't sustainable it's there's there's not one magical thing we can do to to change this but we can take measurable accountability along chains of actions from our supply chains to our supporting the communities we serve. And it's imperative that we collaborate as brands. So back to that radical collaboration. I think we have a lot more power when we combine our efforts and we're not just in competition, but we're really in um, the, the mindset of how do we move things forward collectively and how do we make meaningful changes rather than, Criticize one another. Say, "Oh, the clean beauty movement is lame because there's not enough science." The reality is, the the more we decide to hold hands and move forward together to combat climate crisis, and there's a lot of ways to do that. I think the better the entire planet is going to be, and and our brands are going to be better for it. So, I I really feel strongly in. Um, in moving us all forward collectively and making some big changes. Um, so for us, sustainability is really about partnering with whether it's other brands in our industry, whether it's with our suppliers, whether it's thinking about how we move packaging forward. You know, one example that I'm really proud of is we, with our tube supplier, way way back, um, I said, hey, you know, it's a plastic tube, 100% virgin material how do we use pcr in this tube and they said you know if you want to pay for all the testing and all the tubes that don't work out we'll we'll try it and so they to this day now today they are able to create i think it's pcr with around 68 or i'm sorry tubes plastic tubes with around 68% pcr which would have been garbage and Use that in the beauty industry, and so I know a ton of brands that are using these tubes. And Pacifico was one of the brands that raised their raised our hand and said, "We'll participate in the testing. We'll pay for it. We'll 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 try and and move this industry forward that way." And so it, it was. Um, that's an example of how brands can have an impact. And you know, I never said no other brands can use these tubes. Only us. And again, I think that just made everyone. It's beneficial to the entire industry and ultimately, most importantly, the planet and the consumer.
0: Yeah, it's also about let's not make perfect the enemy of progress. I'm sure someone's looking at that PCR tube and saying, well, why isn't it 100% PCR? And it's like, well, we're getting there. It just takes time. Um, Do you remember when you had that conversation with your tube supplier? How long did it take to make that level of progress?
1: it was first 30% PCR. And then we went to, uh, I think it was 45% PCR. And then we wound up at 86% PCR and our tube started failing. So it was it, it, and it was over the course of probably eight years that we continued testing, adding more PCR. And, and in the meantime, we're moving away from plastic. So we've we've moved, it's roughly, I think we're, we use 50% less plastic at Pacifica than we did in 2018. And so for us, we, we've we also moved to aluminum, which is incredibly recyclable. We've moved to glass. And um, so d- while we're doing this testing, we're still all along our supply chain thinking about how can we get better? What else can we use? What are other materials we can use researching biomaterials? So it's, it's, little baby steps and really thinking about all being creative on your in your supply chain and thinking about all the ways that you can you can have an impact and make a difference
0: when you were talking earlier too about the relationship between climate change and the impact it can have on issues like domestic violence i i had no idea about that correlation and i can completely see the through line and the connection between the two i wonder if you see a connection between sustainability and being a clean brand, some other brands have made that that clean also means a traceable supply chain. It also means being good for the planet. Um, Is that something where you see a relationship inherently between the two, or do you think of them as rather separate initiatives?
1: Well, I think the industry defines them in different ways and i think the consumer does as well and so i i feel like right now it's it's up to each brand to define what it means to them not necessarily using the word clean but what what how, what their brand platform is and for us it's really compassionism and i i we're moving away from just saying we're a clean brand it's much more about our position around compassion always and it it has been for us since day 1 and i truly believe if we if we think about compassion and using that as a place of action we're going to have the most impact and so it does extend to it it's using the best ingredients. It's making those making products that are accessible to a larger group of consumers, making sure that we're paying attention to cruelty free to I, even vegan. and and then talking to our consumers about veganism, how what it what kind of impact that has on the planet is is really important. you know that's one of the, the easiest, and in most impactful ways we can have an effect on cl- on climate change. And so using our voice to rally consumers has been really meaningful to our brand and something we do regularly. We also, this isn't about climate change, but it is in a way we, we work with the ACLU really closely on getting out the vote. And I'm proud to say that we were one of the we were one we were a brand that drove a ton of get out getting get out the vote voter registration with in partnership with the ACLU um, on the last round of voting. And so it's it's something that we are not, you know, we have the luxury of having a core consumer that's loyal to the brand, that's willing to listen to what we have to say, that's willing to participate in social media, and so we use that to. To have an impact outside of selling product. For us, it's much more about if using that, using product, using beauty products as a vehicle for, um, for, for good, for for again bettering the the planet, um, the lives of animals, and and social justice causes.
0: We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the rest of our conversation. With your customer base, I don't know much about them. I would love to know more about like what is their lifestyle. Everyone also always talks about showing up where the customer is, and I want to know what that looks like for Pacifica.
1: Yeah, I always say our customer is the kid in the back of the room drawing on their pants with Sharpie. They're like, not the cool kid, not the it girl. They're not like the, the, you know, we're not we're not the brand that's like showing up as the coolest new brand in New York. We're the brand that's actually a little bit fringe. We we have a core customer that, that cares about uh, these issues that I've been speaking about. And I think that um, you know, we know our customer, a few things we know for sure is our customers, Gen Z and millennial. They care about the planet. They care about ingredients. They're really, they they educate themselves about what's better for them. Um, they love beauty products and they're, but they're not, you know, Pacifica falls into, if they, if we fall into their top five brands, it's not always a clean brand. You know, they love experimenting. They love other brands. They love they just love beauty, but they really do care about veganism and animal rights. And so I, I like to think of our consumer as, you know, when I was the very first Women's March in Los Angeles that I went to, um, I stood kind of in the back and and looked out over the crowd and thought, oh, that's our consumer. There they are. And, you know, it's just a, it's a wide variety of, of people that really care about um, doing good, and and raising their hand to to show up for issues that have a lot of meaning to them.
0: Do you feel like it can be difficult as a founder and as an executive to sort of stick to that mission-driven without being pulled in multiple different directions? Like you're very clearly A vegan brand, pro reproductive rights, but there's so many different things happening on a day to day basis. And like everyone's making a statement, whether it makes sense for their brand or not. I wonder if you found that to be a challenge.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, we've taken some big hits when, you know, if we stand up for something that has a lot of meaning for us, and there will be trolls that come for us. And it can be hard. It's, it's hard on sometimes, and it's generally in social media. So if we stand up for whether it's reproductive rights and, or, you know, trans rights, talking about pride, what, whatever those issues may be that are hot issues for consumers, we do have backlash from a uh, people that aren't happy that will take that position as a brand, people who say, just go be a brand. Why are you, you're a beauty brand. Why are you talking about politics? I don't believe these are politics. This is, it's really about social justice. It's really about making sure that, um, that people have fundamental rights and that these they're available. These rights are available to everyone. And so we, We will post on our social media that if you come for us, we'll remove your posts. We do not allow hate to come into our house. And we take a very strong position on it. And we will rally our company around it. We've had an all-hands meeting where we talk about the fact that, listen, we've taken this position. It's going to make people angry. It's the way it is. We stand by what we believe. We always will. And this this is who we are. And it's... It's had for us, um, again, a negative impact in some ways, but, but mostly it solidifies our core consumer and who they are, and it, it lets them know that we, we have their back. We're going to be here. We're not just about you know, going up and down with what the changes in, in, in um, you know, people's views. It's really about being true to who we are and being true to our consumer.
0: I like your distinction around it being social justice. It reminds me in a bit of a way when, in an interview, Princess Diana said, I'm not a political figure, I'm a humanitarian figure, because it can be so easily misconstrued when, you know, the politics of everyday life is small p-politics, and then there's big p-politics like Congress and government, Um, but it can very much become a bit of a Gordian's knot, if you will. So I, I like that distinction you've made
1: I like I like the um Princess die quote. That's awesome,
0: yes, yes. Pacifica, the Princess Diana of beauty products. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, on a slightly different topic, you know, I've mentioned some of the places that Pacifica is distributed, but I know international expansion is also a focus for you right now. But I wonder how geographically parts of Pacificus beauty narrative translates or registers? You know, do European audiences care as much about vegan and cruelty-free? What does clean mean in certain other non-American places when they already have, you know, the EU standards, for example?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing. I think, well, one thing I know is veganism and cruelty free, which is already a standard in the in the EU. So it's not it's it's not as um, it's not a marketing position. It's just what you sh- what you are and but but veganism and also using better ingredients at an affordable price point is really meaningful and and what we're finding is the UK consumer really cares about the fact that Pacifica is vegan. Um, we are in Douglas in the EU, and that consumer also cares about accessibility, which is incredibly important because, you know, again, I think a lot of our positioning has can be an expensive offering in, in some cases, whether it's a beautiful glass container, whether it's... Um, Ingredients that you know, whether it's biotech ingredients, really effective peptides. These are ingredients that tend to not show up in affordable brands, and so that positioning is is important to that to the consumer in the EU as well as um, the UK. And it's been working really well for us. So it's it's an exciting expansion, and it, we're just getting started over there. And um, some more to come on on how how successful it is for us. But so far, so good.
0: Where are the biggest opportunities for Pacifica? What's still left to accomplish? You've already done so much.
1: Yeah, we've, yeah, you know what? Someone actually emailed me today and was like, congratulations on 28 years. And I was like, oh, I keep saying 26 years. Um, the competition, so apparently we're 28 years old, but I can't do math, but the competition. Sometimes for I,
0: birthdays, I joke <laughs> that I'm going to have my second annual 28th birthday or something like that. I think that's what you could do.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just turned 39 again for like the 10th time. Exactly. Exactly. You're, you're right with it. <laughs> totally. Um, you know, for us, the competition's fierce. There's no doubt about that, and I think staying longevity is key and staying around, staying relevant in this a sea of new brands, and noise is 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 difficult, but it's a challenge. And I think for us, that's what I want. The next twenty, I, I want to be around in twenty six more years. Being. Innovative and beauty has always felt like a sprint, but we're here. This we're here for the long game, and our goal is to, cont- to continue to be an evergreen brand that has that continues to be a leader and continues to drive from our our mission and our values. And I think really helping move the industry forward, as I said, it's really important to, to us to do that and and showing up for our consumers. So we'll continue doing what we do best and for us, that really means being here again in 26 more years. So we'll um, hopefully we have an interview in 26 years about what the last 26 years have been like. Absolutely. Sign me up. Um, part of the
0: growth and strength strategy of Pacifica has also been bringing in some minority investors. I know last year, there was Brentwood Associates. They came in as a minority investor. You said at the time you were looking for a partner that was more hands-on to help the brand grow. Talk to me about the strategy there, what it's also like working with private equity firm. I'm sure that's of interest to many of our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things, if I can give any advice on working with a private equity firm, find a private equity firm that aligns with your values and that is in alignment with where you want to go as a brand. Those are really important things because I I can't, I'm always surprised to hear when when fellow founders and or executives talk to me about the fact that they're not aligned with their private equity group. And it's so important to Get, the, get clear on that before you even sign up together. And that, you know, may, it's not always about evaluation. It's not always about how much money you're going to get. It's because at the end of the day, making sure that when the chips are down, you can get through the hard times together is key. And that's one of the things that I'm excited about with Brentwood has been, has been that they were aligned. We have the same goals. We are we work, we know what we have to work on together and where they've really leaned in with us and where we needed help was in operational excellence. And so we, I don't know if you know, if people know that we had a factory, we had our own factory up until, um, 20, the beginning of 2020. And so changes, we really had to change to a different business model as a brand. And that, that was very difficult. And so Brentwood was there to help us through through the transition they brought in a really amazing uh partner, outsourced a partner to help us go through a 3PL transition. And to the and today I'm really proud to report that we're shipping 98% ship rate, which our metrics are amazing. We're, and the year before and but whereas last year and the year before that, albeit we had COVID challenges, but we weren't shipping in full. And and so because of our again, our business model change over, Brentwood really stepped up to the plate and helped us figure out, okay, these are, these are some of the best practices we've seen. And having that partner who can see around the corner and who's been there before and who's helped other brands is what I was looking for. And it, it's what we got. And so it's been an amazing partnership so far. So did you ultimately get rid of the factory that you had previously? We did. We, shut, we closed our factory in Portland.
0: Wow. What was the reason for that? Usually it's the other way around. Companies want to build in that vertical integration and bake in more seamlessness. So what was going on there?
1: It was f- admitting to ourselves, finally, that we were a better brand than a manufacturing facility. They're very different different things. They're really two businesses. And we started our own factory way back in the early days because I couldn't find anyone to fill perfumes with natural grain, alcohol, essential oils, and use the materials that I wanted them to use and macerate the way I wanted perfumes to be macerated. And so I invented my own way of doing things. And so we started a factory based on that and it grew into owning our own distribution facility, um, having our own, you know, we would, fill a lot of our own creams. We did a lot of our own our own, proce- our own products. And but what happened is we really outgrew ourselves and we couldn't keep up with demand and we couldn't keep up with, you know, shipping orders. And so it just it sort of became to, a, it came to a point where either it was going to implode or we needed to make a change. And so we, we wound up partnering. We, we did some amazing things. We partnered with a, a contract filler that took over our equipment and took over our perfuming. I trained them to use, um, the kind of maceration that I, I dev- was using. And so it, that was great. And then we, um, and it was a slow process. It started really, it was over several years that we we, we really weaned down our, our factory. We knew we were going to do this and since 2000, um, you know, whatever, I can't remember the day, but we knew we were going to do it. So it was it was a slower process. And um by 2020, it was when we finally closed our doors. Um and it was hard. I I still would love to own our own perfume manufacturing facility. That that would be something I might might consider in the future again i know how to do it i love it i loved it i love being that hands on i love blending the perfumes i love the whole process but it just was a totally different business model and was again bigger than than we could manage
0: yeah that makes perfect sense and sometimes being an executive as people often say is about hiring or in this case offloading onto what you know you can't do. If you're not a good accounting person, go hire an accountant. Don't try to do it yourself. Like let the experts be the experts.
1: That's right. And and there are <laughs> there are incredible chemists and fillers and manufacturers that that knew how to do things far and above what we could do at in our own facility. And so it's been, and also even while I had to train some, train our, our new filler to, to macerate a certain way, their ability to fill perfumes far more quickly than we can, um, was amazing. So it was the right choice at the end of the day, but it was, it was also hard.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Given that you started the brand in 1996, it seems like it is easier more now than ever to create a brand. Maybe not grow the brand, but to create a brand. I'm I'm curious if you feel the same, what you would sort of say to people who are contemplating starting a brand at this point in time.
1: That's so funny. I was just talking about this. I just got an ad on Instagram a couple of days ago that was like, "You want to start your own beauty brand? We have small minimums. Here's like all the here's the 20 jars you can choose from." And it's when we started Pacifica, I don't want to sound curmudgeon-y, but it was really hard and it was, you know, the the supply chain wasn't built for using the ingre- ingredients that are available today. I think that today it's, it is a lot, the barrier to entry is low and you can start a beauty brand and you know, you can, you can design it and and you can now build your own websites. So There's just, it's just a totally different time. And and also I, I hear a lot of brands that when I speak and people come and ask me questions, a lot of questions I get, which I find disappointing are how do you get an investor? I want to sell my brand. And I think go be a brand. And so if you start a brand, don't worry about getting an investor. Don't worry about private equity yet. Go be a brand, go for 10 years, slug it out, see if you're going to make it. And and then start thinking about growth and then start thinking about adding on investors and then start thinking about, you know, if you're going to exit. But I feel like, there is a you know it's really important to be authentic to your your mission and your vision and being a brand and creating a livelihood for yourself and the people around you and thinking about it in a way that's not just about a sale or an exit it it really needs it should be i mean in my mind and this is my always my vision it's about being a, a brand first
0: absolutely Brooke, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. You're such a wealth, a library even of experience. So thank you for sharing some of that with us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I love it. So excited. Thank you. Thank you so
0: much for listening to this episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us out. And of course, visit glossy.co slash beauty for even more coverage of the beauty industry. Sarisbrook Finer will be hosting next week. Bye.